Good morning. If you haven't been around Bachelor Creek for a while, or if you're a guest, you're probably wondering, who in the world is this guy up here? That's okay, there are times I've wondered that myself. Uh, probably in this community, I am best known as Jeff Leslie's father-in-law. For you, I'm Karen's daddy, and Kathy's daddy, and Kim's daddy. And for many of you that go back a ways, I was your preacher here for a long time. And to all of you, I want you to know how much our family and my wife Marilyn and I, who is with me today, love this church. I want you to know that we believe in this church and that God's hand is upon this church. But when you look around and you turn on the news and you listen to the stats, I even have an app that wakes me up in the morning and it gives me the opportunity to hear the news first thing in the morning. I don't want to hear the news first thing in the morning. These are crazy, uncertain times, aren't they? One young mom in our congregation where I serve at Jerome at Greentown, Indiana, just posted recently that she hadn't heard any COVID-19 songs yet. Have you heard any? There are a few of them that have. She hadn't heard any. But she said that when she heard it, probably the lyrics would go something like, Ah! 2020, it's a crazy year. Unsettling things happen. We can't foresee the future. Last Sunday before our service, a wonderful lady said this to me. She said, I just want to go back to normal. Now, this is going to be true confessions time. This is the audience participation moment in the message today, okay? I just want things to go back to normal. How many of you have heard somebody say that? Every, oh, first of all, first of all, everybody, everybody in the room, every, without reference to what I just said, raise your hand, right hand. Okay, everybody. Okay, on my honor, I will do my best. No. Okay, thank you. Put them down. Now that I know that your arm works, here's the deal. Okay, how many of you have heard somebody say, I just want things to get back to normal? Raise your hand. I thought so. Here's the true confessions part. How many of you have said, I want things to get back to normal? There are some of you that are not being absolutely truthful. Okay, there we go. Now, what is the old normal? Just in the last six months, we've learned a whole new set of vocabulary, haven't we? we we've learned words like self-quarantine, social distancing, COVID-19, governor's guidelines, stimulus check, whether you got one or not, ventilators, mandatory face coverings, dine-in at 50% capacity, and of course, the one that I'm getting kind of tired of hearing, new normal. Changes, questions, uncertainties. Change comes with living, and we're not going to have a normal that was like the normal that's normal. At the end of this bumpy ride, what's the normal going to be for you? Well, let me be the bearer of some good news. I want to remind you of what we've already sung and what we've already seen on the video. God is still on his throne. God is sovereign. God is still the king of all kings, and he is still the Lord of all lords. No matter what the, I don't know what's going to happen here is for you. So, I want to tell you that change is all around us. This past week, beginning of the week, and then just yesterday, I had a funeral for two very dear friends who have left loved ones behind. And these friends were Christians. They were headed for heaven and left us back here to try and figure things out. 
And then on Friday, when my wife and I were coming back from just a few days at a conference, got a phone call in the car from Todd Daisy. He broke my heart. I've known Todd, Marianne, her family for a long time. Such an untimely passing and such a sweet, sweet friend. And I'll be doing the funeral for Marianne here on Thursday. Beloved believers have gone to glory. But no matter how uncertain things can be in your life or for you today, I want you to know that our world is filled with change. We're wading through turmoil. We're all going through uncertainty. We're all struggling. Uncertainty causes fears. It causes concerns. It causes worries. It causes anxiety. But don't forget, the Holy Spirit of God came on the original day of Pentecost right after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus. And when you repented of your sins, you were baptized into him. You received the gift of the forgiveness of sins. But don't forget, you also received the gift of the Holy Spirit in your life. And the Holy Spirit isn't going anywhere. He's not going to run. He's not going to abandon. He will not leave you alone. He will not forsake you. So problems have always interrupted our old normal. And I can tell you from some of the heart-wrenching challenges that I've seen and that we've experienced, it's never the same as it was before. But learning to deal with problems is a part of growing. Learning how to face challenges is an opportunity for self-development and to glorify God. I think we'd all like to learn the secret of not worrying, wouldn't you? Wouldn't you like to know how to not worry anymore? That brings me to the name of a guy that you have never heard of. He's not in your history book curriculum from high school. He is not on social media. He's not a public name. It's not a world name. His name is J. Arthur Rank. J. Arthur Rank lived a century ago, and he was a pioneer in the British film industry. Now, aren't you glad you came today just to find that out? Aren't you glad you tuned in today? J. Arthur Rank, stay with me on this. J. Arthur Rank was a Christian like you. And J. Arthur Rank was beset with worries to the point in his life that it was taking up way too much time and way too much energy, and he decided he was going to try a novel approach. He was going to worry one day a week only. Now, how would you do that? Here's what Rank did. He said, I'm going to worry one day a week only. He picked Wednesday. I have no idea why he picked hump day for that, but he picked Wednesday. And he said, anytime that a worrying thought comes into my mind, I'm going to write it down. I'm going to put it in my worry Wednesday box. And on Wednesday, I'll open them up and I'll worry. After several weeks, here's what J. Arthur Rank found. He said, only about a third of the things that I had written down, put in my box, were even worth thinking about, let alone worrying about. Isn't that true? So much that consumes our anxieties, causes our fears, is things that usually what we didn't even need to worry about at all. So maybe J. Arthur Rank's method will work for you. Chances are it won't. Let me give you a better thought, okay? I hope you have a Bible with you, your Bible app. If you do, open it to Isaiah chapter 41, verse 9 and 10. Isaiah 41, 
verses 9 to 10, in your Bible. Get your Bible out because you're going to want to write in it if you've got one with you. Isaiah 41, 9 and 10. I'll give you time to look it up. You ready? Okay, here we go. <laughs> well, let's not look at it yet. I'll give you more time. Here's the deal. I want to tell you about another guy whose name you do know. Never heard of J. Arthur Rank. This guy's name is Isaiah. By the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, God used him to pen one of the major books of the Old Testament that bears his name, Isaiah. In the opening verse of Isaiah, it talks about him being a prophet, a bold prophet he was, during the reign of four different kings. Now you go down farther in that to 2 Kings 15 to 20, and that'll tell you to pinpoint the years of his reign was from 740 to 700 B.C., and some scholars think maybe even longer than that. Forty years, he was a bold prophet of God, calling a nation back to him. You see, the nation was divided, the people of God. The northern kingdom was called the kingdom of Israel. Israel. The second, the southern, was called the kingdom of Judah, and that's where Jerusalem was. And that's the people that God had called Isaiah to teach. Actually, during the early part of his ministry, Israel, the northern kingdom, just pretty much crumbled. In the second part of his ministry, he was boldly trying to call people who were wayward, who were falling away, who were all kinds of things that were wrong to bring them back. Habitual sins of idolatry and hypocrisy and injustice and corruption were, were the hallmark of Judah. Does that sound familiar? And they did not escape the holy God who had called them to himself. First 39 chapters of Isaiah are this bold set of prophecies where Isaiah calls the people out. They're falling against God. They're turning away from God. And he challenges them with the theme of repentance, coming back serving God once again. And then in chapter 40, and then into 41, there's a dramatic change in the book. The whole picture changes. The scene wasn't different, but the theme was different. And he begins to talk to them about comfort and consolation and peace and hope. And that's where we're going in Isaiah 41, verses 9 and 10. Now I know you're there. I took you from the ends of the earth, from its farthest corners I called you. I said, you are my servant. I have chosen you and have not rejected you. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and I will help you and I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I want you to notice in this verse five solid statements, five certain truths in times of uncertainty. Watch closely. Discomforts and calms your hurt and your pain. It com calms what happens when you listen to the news and watch it and the stats and the fears knock on your door. So underline them in your Bible. You can take these promises to the bank. Here we go. We're going to mine these together. First one, God's presence with us. He says, I am with you. You know, when you're trying to figure things out and you're all confused and you're burdened and you're hurt, you're uncertain, 
when you remember God is with you, that changes your whole perspective. It makes it all different. God is with me. I'm not alone. When we really begin to get that. Remember, Isaiah came to the temple, and he came to the temple in fear, but he left in faith what made the difference. Well, whether you're watching online or whether you're here in person today, I want you to know that when you're done, when we leave, you can leave, even if you came with fear, you can leave with a stronger faith. When Moses wondered what he should say, when God was calling him to go and deliver the people of God from Egypt's uh, rule and reign and their slavery, Moses said, how am I going to do this? I'm going to be alone. God simply said to Moses, I will be with you. When Jesus' followers were scared that he was going to leave, he'd already died, he'd already risen again, and he was getting ready to ascend to the Father and leave them again, and they were, they were having a tough time. And Jesus said, I will not leave you or forsake you. He promised the Holy Spirit would remain with them and on the day of Pentecost, he did come. And he hasn't recalled his Holy Spirit. He's still ministering to us and through us. Even when we stray. Even when we sin. Even when we struggle. Remember God's presence. I'm with you. That's real. So I want you to underline that. I am with you. Okay? Get that marked in your Bible or your app. I am with you. Next thing I want you to underline is the next promise and the next assurance, the next critical and, and certain truth. I am your God. There are thousands of religions in the world, but the unique thing about Christianity is our view of who God is, and Christianity is unique in this. We believe in a personal God. We believe, we believe in a God who wants a closeness and intimacy with us. And that we can experience that with him. God is our refuge and strength, I tell people, particularly when they're going through the passing of a loved one. And Psalm 46 ministered to Marilyn and me in one of the darkest days of our life. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in time of trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. That very present help in time of trouble is not just theological. It's not just philosophical. It's not just emotional. But you can feel it. It's tactile. The presence of God with you. I am with you. The second thing is God's position is with us. I am your God. That is unique. Other religions don't have that. I am personal. Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, who can be against us? So God is with us, and God is for us. His position as well as his presence. Third thing I want you to see is God is present, and God is. God is giving us his power. He said, I will strengthen you. How dare we doubt that God wants to lead us into a preferred future? How dare we doubt that God wants to take us out of all the CV-19 mess and all of the inconveniences and all the frustrations. I don't know if you can imagine it, but I'm a hugger. And when we're in a church or community situation and baby, basically you're doing elbow bumps, hey, that doesn't cut it for me. 
I'm a hugger. You know, huggers usually marry non-huggers. Did you know that? And non-huggers marry huggers. Now, here's the problem. When they go to each other's family reunion, I love it when the hugger goes to the non-hugger's family reunion. And I love it when the non-hugger goes to the hugger's family reunion. Oh, hi! God wants that intimacy with us. And he wants you to know that he is not only our God, but he will strengthen us. And he wants what is best for his church and for his people as individuals. I will strengthen you. Our faith and trust in Jesus is solid. Because he keeps his word, we can know that our future is certain. Fourth thing is God's provision for us. I'm going to help you. Two years ago, I was involved in a near-fatal car accident. During a time of recuperation at home, I had the best nurse in the world. She has no degree, but she has the highest estimation of any nurse I've ever met, and I've met some awesome nurses. Marilyn took care of me basically for six months. About five weeks and a couple of days ago, she fell at Indianapolis Airport and broke her kneecap. She's here today. She's wearing a brace. And for those first couple of three weeks, I basically followed her everywhere. I mean, hello, ladies, everywhere. I helped her with everything. It was a bit of payback for her taking care of me. But I got the better end of the deal, maybe eight, nine weeks for her, six months for me. But you know what? God has called us to help one another, not to hurt one another, not to hinder one another, not to divide others, but to bring others together. Here's another name you may or may not know. If you've studied global missions, you can't pass up this name. His name was J. Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was a hero in global outreach missions. Particularly, he served for many years with the ministry that he called the China Inland Mission. Now, China was much different back then than it is today. Today, under, under communism, under Mao Zedong, with the revolution that took place, the only place you can catch a glimpse of what China really was like is Hong Kong or Taiwan. But when Mao Zedong took power, they made the effort to stamp out God, Bible, church. And you'd think that they would be successful with all their power, all their control. In reality, the underground church in China is way stronger, way larger than you could ever imagine, and you certainly won't hear that in the news media. Devout followers who have to serve out of a sense of devotion because their lives are threatened simply by following their faith. Hudson Taylor was a missionary, however, in China before all of that. And there was a great revival sweeping across the nation of China, and their paganism was giving way to the Christian gospel. At one point, the China Inland Mission had within its purview 20% of all the hundreds and hundreds of missionaries that were in China. Hudson Taylor wanted to expand the ministry, wanted to have more missionaries come to China, and in so doing, he put out a plea 
and he sent a letter to a friend of his. Hudson Taylor was realizing he had all kinds of struggles, he had all kinds of problems. Let me tell you about his life. He, he struggled with poor health, he struggled with depression. His wife died at age 34, and four of their eight children died before they were 10 years old. This guy had stress, but he had a mission, and he had a point to make that the gospel can change China. Taylor, not only that, had the stress of realizing that his ministry depended upon other people giving prayer support and financial support. He felt that God was really calling him to expand the ministry. And so he wrote this letter that I mentioned a moment ago to a friend and said, we have 27 cents and all the promises of God. you think he had a resource and supply or not? Let me tell you about another dear lady. One of our elders was calling on one of our folks and taking home communion to them on a Sunday afternoon. Got acquainted with the lady, had some Bible studies with her. Maggie Petzl decided she wanted to become a Christian. Maggie had been terribly abused by her husband, and she had fled the city of her origin and was basically in a nursing home in Kokomo and was, in effect, hiding out. She didn't want people to tell other people that she was there. She didn't have any family. She was alone. She studied the scriptures and decided she wanted to become a Christian, wanted to be baptized into Christ. Maggie was confined to a wheelchair or bed, could not walk. One of our elders said, we're going to take her out and baptize her out at our church called me and said that she was coming. I was so thrilled that I visited with Maggie, too. Got her out there and realized we can't get her into our baptistry. I don't know what you've got back here, but our baptistry is a situation where the person that's being baptized is in the water, but the person doing the baptizing is standing outside. And with the steps up and the steps down, there was no way. We happened to have a swimming pool at our house, and we had an event at our house that afternoon. Sunday afternoon. It's called Swim and Study. A children's minister invented it. That was a great idea. They have a Bible study about something in the Bible that has to do with water. Noah, Jesus walking on water, those kinds of devotionals each time, and snacks, and they come and swim in the pool and mess everything up and tear up the yard. It's a wonderful time. They have a great time. And I said to the guys who were there, I said, I just came over here from the Swim and Study. Let's go back to our house. The kids are going to be there shortly, and we can baptize Maggie in our pool. I said, great. So we packed her back up into her, into her van and went over to our house. Kids weren't there yet. Took Maggie into the house, into kind of a four-season four room that we have. It's got a lot of glass windows, and we had all the blinds closed. And she was in there with Marilyn, and she was changing and, and getting ready to just put on some clothes that she wanted to be baptized in. She didn't hear or see the kids come. They all came in quietly and respectfully, and our children's minister told them what was happening. He said, I want you kids to get out on the perimeter of the pool, sit in the pool with feet in the water. I want you to be quiet and respectful. We're going to get to watch your baptism. Oh, great. She came out of the door and saw those kids, and she started to weep. We finally wheeled her out. We transferred her into a straight steel back chair, and four big guys, because she was a woman of size, 
four big guys carried her down the steps, set her in the water. She was like up to here. I said the appropriate words, and we leaned her back on the two back legs of that chair and baptized Maggie into Christ. The kids cheered. I mean, it was erupted. It was celebration time, and she had tears. It wasn't water from the, water from the pool. It was tears coming down her face. And any time, years after that at the nursing home, if you walked into her room, she would tell you what Jesus meant to her and when she was baptized into Christ. And those kids cheered. It was a party in heaven and a party in our backyard. When Maggie died, with no family, Marilyn and I became the caretakers for her possessions. Just a couple of boxes of stuff. One was a Bible that we'd given her, some sweaters, uh, a plain quilt, and a change purse. She had no bank account. She had no prearranged, paid-for funeral arrangements. I spoke to a funeral director in our community that I've known and loved, and he's since gone to be with the Lord. I said, Jeff, what can we do? He said, I'll take care of her servant. What a graveside service for Maggie. The elders were there. Staff was there. A few other people. Cemetery donated a plot. I said to the funeral director, what can we do about a gravestone? He said, the name of the company, he said, you are PR 31, talk to them. And they said to me, whatever you want on that stone, tell me, we'll take care of it. When we got her belongings home. I looked in the change purse, some paper clips, a little lead medallion that had an image of an angel on it, a little flashlight that didn't work, and 55 cents. That was all she had. Let me ask you, was Maggie poor or rich? The 27 cents and all the promises of God. I got 50 cents and I'm going to heaven to be with Jesus. And I'm leaving 55 cents to Dave to figure out what to do with it. What do you think about the last one in verse 10? Hope you're underlining these. You'll come back to them. Fold the page down in your Bible. Mark it in your your version, whatever. The last one, number five, God's preservation of us. I will uphold you. You say, well, I'm going through all of this. I can't believe how deep the hole is I'm in. I will uphold you. I can't believe the challenges I face. I don't know the way out. I will uphold you. I can't understand how I'm going to deal with this emotionally. I will uphold you. I don't know if I can deal with the loss. I will uphold There's never been a promise that God has made that he hasn't kept, and there never will be. I will uphold you. So what? So don't be afraid. Whatever the outcome is with COVID-19, whatever the outcome is with your personal loss, whatever the outcome is with your congregation, with your church, with your family, with yourself, with your marriage, with your relationships, with your job, we don't know what's going to happen with the churning and burning in the inner city cores of our country. All the racial tension, we don't know how that's going to turn out. 
We don't know what's going to happen with the most important election in my lifetime in just a few coming weeks. We simply don't know the future, but we do know who holds it. He is in charge. I've lived long enough to know that some of what will happen will be hard. Some things will unsettle us. Some things will shake us. Some things will shake us at the core of our faith. But when that happens, what are we going to do? Panic? Run? Rebel? What are we going to do? Trust? We're going to be afraid? What will we do? Well, God will preserve us. Yesterday, I did a funeral service for a dear lady. She and her son had gone with us to Israel a number of years ago on one of the trips that we lead. And in the next year, they went with us to Greece and Turkey. She died at age 86. Saw her in the nursing home last Monday. She wasn't sure of her faith, and her family had called me in if I could just maybe talk to her. Would I do her funeral? Yes. Could you maybe come over and talk to her? Well, I couldn't get in the nursing home, but I got to the window, and the glass was moved in as far as it would go, about eight inches. So with me on the phone and her son holding the phone to her ears, I shared a Bible study with her about the promises of God. She had a new and fresh assurance. And the next day, she allowed her life to slip into eternity with all the assurance of God. I will uphold you. Yesterday, I used the 23rd Psalm as a basis for my remarks at her funeral, the graveside in Greenmount and Greensand. In Psalm 23, there's a phrase. And the phrase is very simple. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. A youth group leader was trying to teach this Psalm 23 to a bunch of kids. And one little guy just couldn't quite get it. He tried and struggled. He couldn't get the phraseology. And finally he said, the Lord's my shepherd. That's all I need to know. And that's all you need to know. I will uphold you. So think about this. Remember those five gems. I am with you. I am for you. I'm your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you. So today I'm going to give you an assignment. Early in the service, I don't know how this works out, but the Holy Spirit brings stuff together. Michael had the slide of Proverbs 3, verses 5 and 6 up on screen. Can I tell you about a tear-jerky moment? You probably don't realize this, but Marilyn and I are grandparents. And two of our grandkids are part of the church. We love that, and they do too. This is several years ago, and she was in the, uh, in the kids' program, youth group, or camp, I forget which it was. But we got together with them, and Isabella walked up to me and said, Grandpa, listen to this. And she said, Proverbs 3, 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. And I wept. Because when I was first dating Marilyn and we were first getting serious, preparing for marriage, we wanted a life passage that would guide us all through our life. And it comes from the book of Proverbs, of the third chapter, verses 5 and 6. So that verse I just quoted to you, how many have heard that before? 
All of you should raise your hands because it was on screen earlier, okay? Again, same people. Uh-huh, I'm watching you. Okay, I want to give you an assignment. An assignment means this. I want you, while you're young, you're all young compared to what's to what tomorrow's going to be, while the synapses are still firing as well as they are today, turn to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, and whatever translation you want, and memorize it. It's very simple. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him. and He will make your path straight. I want you to memorize that. Get it in your head like Isabella did. And I said, honey, to her today. She was in kids' church. I don't know what you call it back there, but that's where she was back there. And she said, I said, do you remember a verse that you told me that you had learned? I said, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. And she said, Grandpa, I don't remember. I said, trust in the Lord. She said, in all, with all your heart, in all your ways, submit to him. And he will make your paths. She knew it. And she learned it several years ago. You can learn it now, and I promise you it will stay with you, and you'll come back to this old preacher and say someday, thanks for urging me to do that. Why? Because it's the promise of God. I'm with you. With I'm your God. I'll strengthen you. I'll help you. I'll uphold you. We're going to have a moment of invitation in a few moments. But before that we do that, I want to share with you some lines that I think will be a, helpful to you. There is current, contemporary, and helpful today as they were when they were written a long time ago. Some of you will remember these. It's from a great, great hymn. How firm a foundation, you saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. What more can we say, or can he say, than to you he has said, to you who for refuge to Jesus have fled? Fear not, I am with you. Be not dismayed. I will uphold you and still give you aid. I'll strengthen you, help you, cause you to stand upheld by my righteous, omnipotent hand. Hear this. When through fiery trials your pathway shall lie, my grace, all sufficient, will be your supply. The flame will not hurt you. I only design your dross to consume and your gold to refine. Listen to this. The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose I will not, I will not, I will not desert to his cause. And that soul, though all hell should endeavor to shake, I will not, I'll never, no, never forsake. So do you have that firm foundation personally? Has there been a point in your life where you said, I know I've done wrong and I want to do right. I know I'm lost. I need to be saved. I know that I need Jesus to be my only Savior because he's the only one who can do it. Have you turned in your heart away from the sinful lifestyle and said, I just want to follow him? Yes, I'm going to slip. I'm going to fall, but I'm going to get back up and my life direction will be set. 
I confess him as the only Savior. I'll be baptized in him. So my sins will be washed away by his precious blood, and I'll receive the Holy Spirit in my life to be with me forever. If you've never done that, we invite you today. We're going to stand and sing in just a few moments. We invite you to step out of your seat, come down front, and step to the front porch, and there will be people there who really care and will help you take the next step. Be bold. Don't wait. Do it today. Let's stand and let's sing.